Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen today. I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And as we go live on April 7th, 2020, we're still in the midst of the uh, coronavirus outbreak. Uh, Many of us, of course, are in isolation at our homes, many still keeping essential services going. And although it's a challenging time, it's also given us a time to reset, reconsider, and hopefully rethink how we choose to live our lives. So I, I affirm that good is coming from this difficulty and the stop you know that we've had in the routine is like an extended retreat and many good things can come from that Um, so I'm I'm optimistic but I'm also realistic in the fact that you know many of us are suffering right now for those who have active uh, coronavirus symptoms we of course send our prayers and support Uh, silent unity our prayer ministry continues to do its work 24 7 and uh, I know many ministers are working extra hours doing their work uh, remotely, but still very importantly uh, during this time. So uh, we're, we're here together, even though we're d- at a distance. Uh, in some ways, it's brought us even closer. And, uh, and so I'm happy to still continue uh, World Spirituality Radio Show. And in fact, I begin an eight-week series uh, today looking at uh, unity and world religions and looking at the commonalities that are shared with, with unity and other world t- traditions and, and also some ways that uh, we differ. So today's the introduction to that. And in the, uh, the coming seven weeks afterwards, we'll look at uh, various religions, uh, usually with an expert in the field as my guest. So that, that should be very interesting, I think. So today, though, it's just me. I'm doing an introduction. Um, so let's get started and, and talk about this fascinating subject. And, of course, it all begins, as far as unity is concerned, with uh, our co-founders, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. And uh, they grew up in the you know, latter years of the, uh, the, the 19th century. And uh, it, when America was still in some ways pioneering, you know, and Ch- Charles was born in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and, and worked in, the, in Colorado with, with, uh, as a meal skinner for many years. So he's very much in that pioneering spirit. Uh, Myrtle uh, grew up uh, in, a, in the Ohio area and went to Oakland College. 
So she was a little more traditional, perhaps, but in in the background, but uh, definitely uh, just as um, pioneering in in her uh, awareness and her spirituality. So that they were sort of Protestant in in the upbringing, but I think it was um, Myrtle's illness. Uh, you know, she had tuberculosis, and and um, they they gave her just six months to live at one point. I think that's what impelled them to to seek some uh, understanding of, for a cure, uh, to find out, you know, what, what's all this about? What, what are we supposed to do to put uh, spiritual practices um, or sp- spiritual teachings into practice rather than just uh, having them as a faith? Um, and, and it was at that time, I think, that they began to look in all directions, you know, medically, but also spiritually. Um, and uh, a big movement at that time, of course, uh, was me- the mental healing movement, which came out of uh, Finne- the New England area, out of Finne- Phineas Parker's Quimby and, and others who were very interested in the power of the mind in terms of healing. And uh, Mary Baker Eddy in Boston uh, was also interested in that uh, and set up what was called Christian science. This idea that uh, it was based on the teachings of Jesus, but also had this spiritual and scientific component um, that was important. That this wasn't just um, happenstance or blind faith, but it happened on principle, scientific principles. And uh, I think uh, most of the, uh, the the people at that time called themselves Christian scientists, but uh, Mary Baker Eddy finally uh, created a copyright about that uh, term. And so that's when other movements started to come up with their own names like religious science, divine science, uh, and unity. But it's based on that same idea of uh, scientific underpinning. Also, I know Charles and Myrtle were, were very interested not just in mental healing, but, but in um, transcendentalism, uh, the work of, of Emerson, Thoreau, and others. Uh, this connection with uh, this oversoul or this presence that's everywhere in the universe, and that we are part of that, and um, that, that deep connection. And so the, the marrying of mental science, mental healing, with transcendentalism, I think, really deepened their understanding um, of uh, the connection between uh, metaphysics, the, 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 the spiritual and mental aspects of how to manifest things. Um, and then as they developed, they, they sort of took on board um, an extraordinary array of other um, interests. Um, I, I, you know, Emma Curtis Hopkins out of uh, Chicago influenced uh, both Charles and Myrtle greatly, and, and she was into a deep mysticism, um, almost esoteric uh, traditions, and uh, was was a wonderful teacher also. And, and uh, they even extended their studies to uh, Hinduism and, and Buddhism and other Eastern thinking. Um, of course, Emerson was very interested in uh, Hinduism and Buddhism as well, so there was a natural link there. Uh, but uh, it's recorded that Charles and Myrtle were present at the, the first parliament of the world's religions that happened in uh, Chicago in 1893. And they went to a talk by uh, Swami Vivekananda, um, who was the, one of the first gurus to come to, to the West and uh, was highly influential, of course, in, in, um, in, in many areas. But, it, but obviously, he, he influenced uh, unity as well. So um, 
Interesting, the eclectic mix, therefore, out of which uh, unity arose. And, and Charles and Myrtle, though, never left their Christian faith. In fact, they said that, um, you know, that you didn't have to leave any faith to, to study unity. Unity was just a help, uh, a way to practice what you believe in a, in a deeper way. They were trying to get back to what they called primitive Christianity, Christianity before the ecclesiastical tradition, you know, back to the, the key teachings uh, of Jesus Christ. And uh, Charles of Myrtle, I think, always stayed true to the fact that uh, Jesus was their great uh, exemplar and uh, master and and they were proud to follow it in, in that tradition. A spin I have on it is um, I think there's, there's such a thing as what, what I like to call the golden thread uh, that's throughout all religions. It certainly can be seen in Christianity. And that golden thread is the unitive tradition, um, the idea of oneness, of non-dualism. And uh, we see, uh, you know, the the... the the thread coming in all aspects of these religions, usually in the mystical side of the of the religion. So in, in Islam, you, you might call it uh, Sufism because uh, the Sufi tradition is very unitive. Um, in, in the Catholicism, you, you, might, you might call the, the unitive tradition some of the great teachings of the, the mystics like uh, St. John the Cross, uh, Mother Teresa of Avila, um, or I should say Teresa of Avila, just drop the mother. Um, and uh, then, you know, later on, we, in, in the current period, we have mystics like Teilhard de Chardin and, and Thomas Merton. And, of course, my favorite from the 13th century, uh, Meister Eckhart. Um, all these great uh, Catholic teachers were, were teaching what I call the golden thread, which is that unitive mystical understanding, which is based, folks, on practical spirituality right based on direct experience right it's different from uh, going to church and hearing it from others listening to a preacher whatever relying on the preacher or the priest to be a mediator between you and god the unitive tradition is all about connecting directly and i think this is something that really excited charles and myrtle and when they they first found the the, the prayer group which later became uh, the Society of Silent Help and then Society of Silent Unity and then simply Silent Unity, the prayer ministry today, um, I think that's what they were about, was this idea that uh, they wanted to make it practical. And, of course, Myrtle applied these principles uh, and affirmations. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, it's all these... Uh, pollen is all in the air right now it's pretty amazing here in texas but uh, it does give a sort of something going in the, along in the, in the sinuses anyway where was i I was talking about the golden thread and the fact that the myrtle uh, utilized affirmation to to heal herself of tuberculosis and uh, it was the idea of it being very practical for her you know i am a child of god and therefore i do not inherit sickness so this idea that I am, I am a child of God, I am connected to the one. There is that unitive idea that we're not separate. Um, we don't have to go to um, priests to do it for us. We can do it ourselves. Okay, I'm going to cough again. Sorry, sorry, guys. I don't know why I'm getting this uh, tickle in my throat right now. Drink some water here. Maybe that will help.
There we go. I crave for indulgence. Thank you. So it's an eclectic mix of uh, interests that uh, Charles and Myrtle uh, took on board, but always focused in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And then this discovery, I think, of the golden thread. Another word that's been used to describe another phrase is the perennial philosophy. And, of course, Aldous Huxley wrote that wonderful book, a compendium of teachings uh, called the perennial philosophy. And um, it's the same idea. It's perennial in the sense it keeps popping up everywhere, you know. And I, I, I remember when I was in my early 20s, and truly came into this understanding. And I'd been interested in mysticism for many years without knowing exactly what that meant. But uh, when I was in my early 20s and went to India um, and uh, began to study and practice some of these teachings, I realized, oh, yeah, these, these unitive ideas are there underneath all religions, right? You dig a little deep and you'll find the, the principles. And so even though on the surface... Religions may differ and have different practices, traditions, rituals, etc. If you dig a little deeper, you'll find uh, many commonalities. And that's what I'm interested in um, talking about in the next eight weeks is how they do link together. Because another important uh, point for me, and I, th I think for many of us, is that uh, we believe our world has been divided for too long, right? It, it's um, divided in po political ways, in religious ways. Uh, eth ethic, ethically, it's often divided. Ethnically, it's often divided. And it's time for us to come together as one. And perhaps this uh, coronavirus is part of that because this, this virus is, is affecting everybody, all, all nations, all countries, all people, and, and not just uh, a few. It's not limited to one part of the world or whatever. So it's part of uh, something we all have to take hold of and uh, work together with. And hopefully that can bring us together and, and, and it provides uh, something we can uh, not be divided about anymore. Though, unfortunately, division continues. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's hard to let go of things, uh, the tribal ways we've looked at life. Um, hard to get, get rid of those in a short term. So it may take time to shift the... Uh, the boat around, as they say. So, I think it was in the 70s that uh, there was this idea, well, we've got a lot of teachings in unity, uh, wonderful teachings, and they can be found in the, the writings of uh, Charles and Myrtle, and also in the writings of some of the great uh, early uh, teachers and ministers like Eric Butterworth, James Tillett Freeman and others. Um, but what are our essential principles? And um, at that time, uh, the, the people who were influential in the unity movement uh, came together to uh, discuss this and came up with the five basic unity truth principles that we talk about a lot today. And, of course, uh, Alan Reverend Alan Davenport has written a wonderful book uh, about the five principles. And if you want to find out more about them, then there's no better book than that. Um, so uh, today I wanted to look at some of those five principles. Uh, so, so this is a little primer 
uh, if you're not familiar with the principles of unity. And, and I'm going to use these five principles in our discussion of uh, world religions for the next seven weeks and see um, whether these principles are found in other religions or not and how those other religions express the principles, right, and how important they are to those religions. So I think that'll be quite interesting because these are uh, essential teachings, if you like. So let's do that. Let's look at the uh, the five uh, unity truth principles. And of course, there's many others, um, but I think they're all involved and folded into these five principles, if you like. So if you got if you understand the five principles, you've got a pretty good handle on what unity is about. And uh, and these principles go back to the core of Charles and Myrtle's teachings. There's nothing uh, exceptional in them, but they are very profound, even though they, they are deceptively simple. And that's another thing I found about studying world spirituality and world re religions, is that uh, there is a simplicity, actually. And no matter how complicated things get, it's basically very simple when you come down to the heart of something, right? We we can sum up the teachings of Jesus in a way by saying uh, to, to love God and love each other because we are one and the same. God and us are one. Um, so so love God and love uh, one another. If you if you just practice that, you'd be pretty uh, far advanced. And uh, you can't get any simpler than that. Um, in fact, Jesus said that. He said, this, this is the basic teaching. Everything else is just commentary. Um, you know, this is the law and the prophets, to love God and love each other. So uh, you can't get it from the, a greater source than that, that this is, this is what we're talking about. So first principle and the whole basis of the idea of unity, right? It's that God is absolute good, everywhere present, the one presence and one power. And... Uh, so there is no other power. There is no other force in the universe duking it out. You know, there's no devil out there in, in adverse um, relation to the one. There is only the one. And you can say, well, okay, what happened to the devil that I thought existed? Um, well, yes, perhaps uh, as a form of uh, awareness, when we twist ourselves out of shape, uh, we can get pretty devilish sometimes, but but there is no power. The devil takes his power, if you like, if there is this personification of a, a thing called the devil. The devil consciousness takes its power from the one power. It's a selfish use of, of the one presence and one power, but no power in and of itself. In fact, it wouldn't make sense if God is omnipresent and omniscient and omnipotent, the, the three great omnis, right, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. Um, if God is that, then there could be no other opposing force because it, that, that force of love, of good, fills the universe. And, uh, and, and we, can, we can talk about, well, where does suffering and the evil come from? And, and that's something that I think we're going to approach in all the, uh, the, the weeks ahead because that's a huge subject that has taken up many religious scholars of all types and all persuasions. So we'll, we'll put that on hold for a, a minute. Okay, we'll come back to the idea of evil in a minute. But God is the one presence and one power is a beautiful idea. It's the idea that no matter where I go, God is. No matter what's happening, the presence and power of God is, is there. 
And that presence is good, absolute good. And it's not good in in terms of good rather than evil. You know, it's, it's not a duality of good and evil. Good with a capital G, the good. There is no opposing force other than the good. And if there's evil or bad out there, it is simply a misunderstanding of the good. And and so um, there's the the, hop, the opportunity for re regeneration or redemption back into oneness once we understand that this is always present for us. Um, so how does that sit with you, that idea that there is this one presence and one power of absolute good, always reliable, never changing, always present? And when I say never changing, you know, I, I believe in a God that does unfold or some aspect of the divine that unfolds. But there is that Godhead, that essence that is unchanging, that is always reliable, that is ever-present as principle, that is always loved no matter what, and unaffected by events or circumstances, and something we could turn to and align with when we see that there are crazy things going on in our lives. There is that reliable source of absolute good, and it's a very efficacious to go back to that and right now while we're dealing with um, with coronavirus to see that there there is divine order there is absolute good at work here and in some way the the virus of course is part of god right it's not something outside of god so we have to ask ourselves why is it manifesting in the way it is right now what imbalance have we created perhaps in our world that has resulted in coronavirus and and um, if we if we look at the way we uh, we use and abuse Mother Nature, we we may say, well, maybe we've created an imbalance here, which is allowing strange things to happen in, in microbes and viruses and whatnot that that can bring this forth. We don't know. It's it's not us ours to know, perhaps, but it is ours to to discern whether we want to continue this way. You know, we we're despoiling Mother Nature. We're, uh, some of the scientists say that if we continue this way, uh, we're, we're going to destroy the planet and it'll turn into uh, Venus, you know, a beautiful, a beautiful planet shining in the sky, but with no life in it. And surely we don't want to do that to our beautiful Mother Earth. That's the first principle. God is absolute good. Everywhere present. One presence and one power. Then the second principle is also beautiful because it totally aligns with the first one. And I'll read uh, one interpretation here. It says, human beings have a spark of divinity, which is the, uh, the Christ spirit within. The very essence is of God. And therefore, they, and I would say rather than they, we are also inherently good. So, in other words, we have a spark of that same essence that is the absolute good of God. We are one. If God is one, then in essence, we are one with God. It's when Jesus said, the Father and I are one, that he understood completely this unity. And it's a great claim, isn't it, that the Christ is within us. I behold the Christ in you, and I behold the Christ in myself as well. That Christ's presence is the spark, the essence of divinity within you and me. And uh, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, of course, he was referring to that presence of the Christ, the I am, the 
presence of God within him. And he says, the things that I am, you could do too. And so he's pointed to that presence of the Christ in everything. Uh, that is the way, the truth, and the life. I of myself could do nothing, says Jesus. It's the Father within me that does the work. And so it's the I am presence, the presence of the Christ, which is absolute good, which does the work. But I remember when I first came into this understanding, and it blew me away because in some ways I grew up with this idea of duality, that there was uh, the perfect God, but then the imperfect crea creation, and I was part of that. And in some sense, I was a sinner because I didn't meet the high standards and never could, uh, but I had to keep trying. But this idea that, uh, no, essentially you are whole and well and free. You are a beautiful child of God. Just as Myrtle Fillmore understood, I am a child of God. I do not inherit sickness or sin or separation. That idea just was amazing to me, and it was a huge breakthrough. And, and, and there was so much baggage that I let go of at that time when I realized I'm holding on to these ideas of not being good enough, of having low self-esteem, um, of, of not really being a spiritual being because I'm too human. And I realized no matter how human I am, God loves me unconditionally, that I am a spiritual being having a human experience and not the other way around. Sayyid the Shardan said that. We are, human, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having or trying to have a spiritual experience. And when we move to center and remember who we are, wow, that's a tremendous breakthrough. And so to know that, that the very essence of God is in you, right? And therefore, you are inherently good. How does that make you feel? It empowers you, doesn't it? It equips you with this idea. And we're not talking about your ego. It's not lifting up your ego and saying, look how special I am. No, we are all incredibly special in the sense that we are all part of the, the one. We have that Christ within us. And so it's letting go of the ego's control of that and allowing ourselves to be humbled, but and yet it also exalted. We're, we're, we're giving up a small sense of self so that we can be all that is, right? And that's a very humbling thing to do. So those are the first two principles. Uh, when we come back after the break, uh, we'll talk about the, the next three, and then I'll tell you a bit about how this fits into the, 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 the series that we're going to be doing on unity and uh, world religions, which starts today. And uh, I'd love you to contact me on my Facebook, World Spirituality Facebook, or call the station if you have um, uh, questions or ideas. I'll give you the number when we come back. Let's listen to these messages from Unity. See you in a couple of minutes. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. All right, welcome back to 
to today's show. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, and um, we're starting an eight-week series this week on unity and world religions, and in the coming weeks, I'm going to be interviewing experts in the field on a variety of world religions and asking them uh, if how and where unity fits into those religions. Are there commonalities and are there differences? And uh, noticing, as we mentioned in the first half, this common thread, or golden thread, as I like to call it, of uh, mystical or unitive thinking that you find in all religions, um, usually in the mystical branches of those religions rather than just in the, the regular uh, dogma and tradition. So you have to dig a little bit to find it. In the first half of today's show, though, we were laying an introduction. We talked about uh, the, the influences on Charles and Myrtle uh, were quite eclectic in terms of uh, religious traditions and spiritual traditions and uh, how unity came, came about. Um, and then we began to look at the, the, the five essential uh, principles within unity because this is sort of the foundation upon which we're going to build our series here. Um, how do the essential teachings of unity fit into um, our understanding of world spirituality? And we, we discussed the first two uh, just before we went to the break. Uh, first one, of course, that is one presence and one power, God the good, absolute good, and that we are part, the second principle, we are part of that absolute good because we have the Christ presence within us, which is that spark of divinity within each of us. And so we also are inherently good. So those are the first two unity principles. Now let's look at the last three uh, because they're equally important um, and uh, really uh, essential if we were to understand the power uh, of metaphysics, uh, the ability of consciousness to create reality. And the third principle really talks about that. This is uh, sometimes called the the law of mind action, um, it, but uh, it could be stated this way. It says human beings create their experiences by the activity of their thinking. Everything in the manifest realm has its beginning in thought. So it's the idea that uh, there is a relationship, right, between uh, thoughts and actions, that uh, the, what we habitually are thinking about, thoughts held in mind, are going to produce after their kind. Um, and, and not just uh, dry thoughts, I would say thoughts uh, linked with feeling, thoughts and feelings together. The whole aspect of our volition and our intention, uh, when they come together, they create um, and they manifest in, in the world. And, of course, if we're habitually thinking negative thoughts, you know, our world is framed in that way. So we begin to see it uh, outpictured in that light. If we hold thoughts of possibility and and uh, and light and love, then the world reflects that too, because the world gives us everything, right? Everything is everywhere, present. This is the one presence and one power. So uh, the, the world fashions itself according to where we are, whatever we're able to, to understand and um, allow. And so if all we can allow is separation, then we see a world of separation. If we can allow unity into our hearts and minds, then of course there it is, because it's always it's always been here. So we we very much condition our own existence 
And, and sometimes in New Thought, we say well, that we create our own reality. And people say, well, no, I don't. You know, I don't create all these things around us. Well, it's, it's true. You don't necessarily create everything in that sense. Um, because we are in a collective uh, consciousness here where everybody is doing this. Um, but it's definitely true in, in the sense that we can get to respond to things in our own unique way. So no matter what befalls us, we have um, a, a response that is uniquely ours. So we create our reality in that regard. If you want to make coronavirus the end of the world, you can. But if you want to make it an opportunity, then that's true, too. Um, it doesn't make either wrong. It just simply means that we have that formative power of, the, of thought, of consciousness. And uh, this is a hugely important aspect. Uh, and some people call it karma, right? The law of cause and effect. What, what, you, um, uh, you know, what causes, uh, this, what is the source, then yields to the, um, the effect that's, that's uh, a result of, of that cause, of that source. Um, and I think i got to do a little word of um, a caveat, if you like, uh, around this, because I think it, it, some of us take this a little bit too simplistically. You know, we think that all we have to do is hold the right thoughts. And, you know, I hold thoughts, I'm going to be a millionaire today. Well, then when it didn't happen, I'm kind of, you know, upset. And I think, well, this stuff doesn't work. You know, all I thought I'd do is, is have this, the right thoughts. Well, you know, you have to condition yourself to a, a prosperity consciousness rather than hold your thoughts of I'm going to be a millionaire. Um, I think that's what makes the difference. It's it's where you are habitually holding your consciousness in in awareness of the possibility of the flow of abundance and then be willing to act on it because um, just holding thoughts of being a millionaire is not going to get you there necessarily. But, but moving in that direction through allowing your um, guidance to, to teach you ways to um, be in that flow of, of accumulation, then, then you may find that, uh, that this does come true over time. So um, it's, it's too simplistic to say, oh, well, you know, one thing happened and then this next thing is a result of that. Um, no, I don't think that's true, and I think it's dangerous because it sort of short circuits the wonderful flow of um, of understanding. Case in point, um, over the last couple of weeks, I've had the most interesting dreams, and a lot of the dreams have been about uh, working through relationships and coming to dead ends and uh, cars being destroyed, and there's only half a car, and I can't get anywhere Um uh, relationships with my uh, my family or, or with uh, people I've known at, uh, in my church career have come up, often with some kind of resistance or some lack of movement forward. And, um, and I'm thinking, my goodness, all this stuff is going on in my subconscious mind. And I think I trace a lot of it to this idea that I don't know where I'm going right now with coronavirus, you know, and I'm reviewing various things. But my, my conscious mind has not been in that area, not doing that work, but my subconscious is. And, and so there's a whole lot of work that the, the subconscious does that we're not even aware of with our conscious minds to work through issues. And um, so when, when we talk about the law of mind action, it's not just the conscious mind that is active here. Uh, the subconscious mind is very, very active also. And the subconscious mind... It's not just a storehouse of all memories. 
It's also the way that the superconscious mind, the spirit uh, within the universe, can speak to us, um, can give us uh, information. And uh, we, we see this all through the Bible, where many of the characters had dreams that uh, illuminated things for them. Uh, the, so the biblical teachers knew very well that uh, the subconscious was hugely important. Charles and Myrtle did too. Uh, they talk a lot about that as well. So I think we have to be open to the various levels of who we are, right? Not be simplistic to think that just because I, I throw a thought out there in my conscious mind, it, it may take time. It took Myrtle Fillmore two years of affirming I am a child of God and I, therefore I do not inherit sickness and going deep down into a subconscious and, and forgiving, asking for forgiveness for, to all the cells and, and organs of a body, uh, releasing all kinds of hurt, um, all kinds of low self-esteem so that she could claim her healing. So, so that work took, uh, took a long time, a lot of perseverance. So yes, thought is formative. But it's not just as simple as just holding one thought or saying one affirmation and voila, you got the answer, okay? Uh, I hope that doesn't uh, offend anybody who thinks so. I, I thought it was going to be simpler. Well, it's more wonderful. How about that? It's more wonderful than just uh, simple things. And sometimes we're glad, aren't we, that the thoughts we held today did not become manifest uh, because maybe they weren't the highest and best thoughts. Some of the things that we allow our minds to say through our voice is not always uh, what we choose the, the later on. And we say, oh, why did I say that? So that's the third principle. Fourth principle is the power of prayer, which in unity we often call affirmative prayer. So it's not begging God. There's no dualism there. We're aligning with the one. So we're coming into conscious awareness of our of a um, oneness with the presence, right, through through this prayer consciousness. So prayer is creative thinking at its highest, if you like. It's the highest level of creative thinking and heightens our connection with God mind, with God consciousness, and therefore brings forth all the things we might need, wisdom, healing, prosperity, everything good. Um, and again, I think it's important. We're not necessarily asking for things when we pray. We're asking for a shift in consciousness so we see everything in its right relation. So I don't necessarily want money. What I want is that flow of abundance in my life, right? And and uh, so this is what metaphysics is. It's looking for the truth at the back of the thing that's manifest. So it may not be be a certain relationship we're looking for. Uh, so we don't need to be fixated on one particular person. If, if that person doesn't become a partner, life's over. No, it's about attracting the right and perfect partner at the right and perfect time and not being fixated on any one person and just surrendering and allowing God to bring forth that perfect uh, coupling if that's what it's meant to be. And uh, I think that's that, that's another misunderstanding sometimes we have, that we're asking for things instead of asking for an enhanced, expanded consciousness, which then allows the things to come. Uh, Jesus understood this. You know, in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, uh, seek first the kingdom 
You know, God knows all the things you need. Don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom and the righteousness, the rightfulness, the order and harmony of the of the kingdom. And then all these things will be added to you in the right and perfect way. I think he put it beautifully. Um, Emmett Fox talks about golden keying a problem, uh, taking your mind off the problem and putting it on God, allowing God to see clearly through you what needs to be done. And, and so often we're, we're so fixated on the problem or the need or the outer manifestation that we forget there is an inner resource, right? And that resource is most powerfully um, ex- accelerated through, through prayer, through alignment with the one. So prayer, and I know we're going to find that prayer is, is a given in all religions, but each, each religion has a different way of approaching prayer. So we can learn some things, I think, in the next seven weeks about the various kinds and ways of praying and meditating. So that's principle number four. And then principle five is the idea that this is all great, but we have to put it into practice. And that's another thing I loved when I first came into Unity, because Unity described itself as a way of life. And I'd been to church on Sundays, and it sounded okay, but it didn't really seem practical during the week. And I want I, I craved a a spirituality that was helpful in, on an everyday basis. And uh, I found that in Unity because it's a way of life. It's direct experience of the truth wherever you are. So you can take these principles into your life, whatever's happening for you. And, and that to me is, is direct um, evidence of the power of this golden thread of this unitive thinking. So the fifth principle states, uh, knowing and understanding the laws of life or truth are not enough. Knowing and understanding all these wonderful principles of our oneness, of our Christ's presence, um, of the power of prayer, they're no good unless we can actually practice them, unless we can actually behold the Christ in someone else. Because we can say it, can't we? I behold the Christ in you, and and then not live it. You know, we, we, we the next thing we do, we're criticizing that person or whatever. Even ourselves, I behold the Christ in me, yeah, but then later on, I'm thinking, oh, I missed, missed the mark again. I'm no good, etc., etc. Politically, sometimes we could say, well, I can't behold the Christ in him. You know, he's beyond the pale for me. Well, maybe we need to extend. We don't have to like the behavior or the policies, but we still are called to love that person. And I know that's tough when we see that person or whoever it might be being hateful. Um, but we are called to to wrap that person in love. That's a that's a huge step for for many of us in moving from the nice idea into actuality. But that's the fifth principle, right? Knowing and understanding the truth is not enough. A person must also live the truth that he or she knows. And you know, folks, we live it by putting it into practice a step at a time by putting into practice what you know to be true, just whatever, it, even if it's a little tiny bit, you, you just desist from the old patterns and put in a new pattern, right? Uh, it's, instead of going there again, you know, criticizing, 
you may stop for a moment and say, is it really necessary? Is that true? Am I really helping that person or even myself by holding that thought right now? Maybe I can release that. Maybe I can let it go and instead replace it with something more loving. And even if that's only a just a tiny little movement forward, it makes a big, big difference. You know, I'm, I'm big into the idea that all you have to do is touch the hem of the garment. You remember the story of, of Jesus and the woman who was hemorrhaging and she couldn't get anywhere near Jesus because he was surrounded by the crowd. But she crawled along the ground and reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And, of course, Jesus, being all wise, had recognized that somebody, some power had gone from him. He recognized that trans, uh, transmutation of power from him to the woman. And uh, he said, who touched me? And it was the woman. And she received the healing because of her faith, you know, just touching the hem of his his garment. And uh, I think that's so powerful in its symbolism. Just touching one aspect of this truth, folks. We don't have to know all the world's religions. We don't have to know all the principles. We don't have to be grounded in, in deep study. But we have to know one thing and be willing to practice it, right? And then you get everything. Then all the wisdom flows to you. So just to, to put into practice, just to touch the hem of the garment. So what would that be for you today? What would that mean, right, to touch the hem of the garment? What am I going to do in my life during this time of coronavirus? What one thing can I do to touch spirit today to get that energy flowing from, from the source into my life? Right. Some aspect, some little thing that I could do. Maybe it's a kind word to somebody. Maybe it's just lighting a stick of incense and spending a little time in the quiet. Maybe it's looking at the spring as it unfolds. Uh, maybe it, it's just simply sending a word uh, via email or, or on uh, Skype or somewhere to another uh, saying, I, I appreciate you. You know, it can be anything, but it can make a big difference, not just to them. But to you, because what have you done? You've changed the pattern. You've moved in a direction of expansion and, and opened up to putting this into practical effect in your life. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm testimony to this. When we do this, our lives will change. And this is the power of the fifth principle, putting these truths into practice. So let's recap. The five principles, one presence of one power, God is one throughout the universe. We are part of that one. We call ourselves the Christ, but you can call yourself the Buddha or the essence of truth or whatever, the great spirit within. Um, it doesn't matter what name we give, but just know that that is present for us. That's the second principle. Third principle is the power of the mind, of consciousness in, in creating reality. The fourth is aligning with that presence and power through affirmative prayer that's the fastest way to do it and then fifth is put it into practice simply in your life in one way that you can today and then build on that as the days unfold so i think these principles really cover every aspect of our, of our lives because they talk about god and they talk about us they talk about the power of mind they talk about the power of prayer and the effectiveness of living it every day. And, and so if you could just practice those five, if any of us could, on a, on a daily basis, a moment-by-moment -moment basis, we'd, we'd be moving in the right direction. But I want to look at these five principles next week and the weeks to come in terms of 
where do they fit into other religious teachings and thinking, right? So uh, let me tell you about some of the shows that are coming up. Um, next week, I'm going to look at Christianity because unity, as we said earlier, is, is based in the Christian tradition. But some Christians may not see unity as necessarily Christian because we are a little different from some of the more traditional ways of looking. But again, I see us as a golden thread that you see uh, all through Christianity, and we'll, we'll look at some of those things. Jim Gaither, wonderful uh, scholar and uh, minister in unity, will be joining me to discuss that. Um, in the following week, I'll be looking at Judaism, which, uh, again, has many uh, similarities because we're based in the Hebrew Bible as well, many similarities to Christianity um, and to unity. And this idea that God is one is, is sort of cent is very central. Also has its own mystical traditions, Kabbalah, uh, that, that can yield insights, I think, into the five principles. Um, I have an imam joining me the following week who's, who's going to join me and talk about Islam and some of the teachings there. I mean, many of us have misunderstandings about what Islam is, so um, I, I'd like him to share some of uh, his insights. And we'll look a little bit about Sufism as well, the mystical path within uh, Islam. Um, I've got uh, a wonderful professor uh, of Hinduism to talk about Hinduism uh, the next week. This is a particular love of mine because I feel very connected to the Hindu tradition. And uh, it's a fascinating uh, tradition, a multiplicity of understanding. So that should be interesting. And then we'll move to uh, the Buddhism the next week. Two more professors joining me who are both experts in the field. And we'll talk about that wonderful spiritual psychology that's, uh, that's Buddhist. And Charles and Myrtle exhibit many Buddhist teachings in, in their own teachings because um, they studied that spiritual psychology themselves. Um, the week after that, uh, we'll, we'll look at Taoism and uh, especially its philosophical side, the works of um, the Tao Te Ching and, and other, other books. And uh, this is a very fascinating subject, too. And many of us, of course, are familiar with yin-yang and that connection, that, that order and harmony. Uh, there's many things that Taoism could, could teach um, unity. And then in the, uh, the next week, the final week, uh, we're going to look at uh, primal religions, which is a, covers a whole gamut of uh, understanding. And it's going to be difficult to s squeeze it all into to one week. But uh, I want to look at Native American spiritualities and other native spiritualities, uh, as well as ancient uh, spiritualities like uh, Norse and Greek mythology, uh, Celtic understandings, and some new things like Wicca, neo-paganism, um, etc., and even Dudism. I don't know if you're familiar with Dudism, but uh, it's based on the, the big Lebowski movie, and uh, that seems to be gaining uh, importance in the, in, the, in the culture recently. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, about that. And then we'll make some conclusions uh, about uh, what's happening in the world. Uh, is there a new spirituality that's arising? How, how can unity fit into that? Uh, what is ours to do? So I, I think we've got a lovely uh, time here discussing these uh, fascinating subjects. And I hope you'll tune in. I'd love to get your feedback. Um, you can call the station anytime at 816-251-3555. 
Or you can also go to my uh, Facebook page on World Spirituality Facebook page. Love to hear from you there. Or just go to my regular Paul John Roach Facebook page. Check out my um, my website at pauljohnroach.com. I'll, I'll put some things up on that as well. Uh, but I'd uh, love to have an interface with you about uh, some of these ideas. So feel free to uh, drop a line. Uh, my my email is pauljohnroach at yahoo.com. Love to hear from you in that regard, too. Let's get this uh, these ideas moving and see, seeing how they can uh, make a difference for us and, and for how we approach our world, you know, because maybe this is a time for renewal and a new understanding of how that golden thread can, can make a difference uh, for, for many people. So that's just about it for today. Um, let's let's le- let's leave it with a, a prayer um, focused on the, the coronavirus again, and um, and and knowing that uh, we are in unity, and so we espouse and, and understand that idea of our oneness. So we're all in this together. We are one, but we're also one with God, and God is the one presence and one power, absolute good. And so we invoke that presence and power of good now to establish divine order and healing in our world. And we see that this malady, this uh, coronavirus, is here for a reason. And we are keen to understand the reason and to move beyond division into a greater harmony in our world. And for every evidence of that, we give thanks. And for our part in doing that, in coming together as one, We are honored to do that work, and we give thanks for our ability to do so. We give thanks for unity, for all that it offers, for silent unity and the work that has been going on there for over 125 years. We are one in spirit. Our nature is love. We have the power of consciousness to enhance who we are and what this world can be. And through affirmative prayer, we say that you and I are one. All is well. Thank you, God. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. And I hope you tune in next week. We'll talk to you then. Take care now. Be, be safe. Be well. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.